Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? You guys need to I'm in my prime. Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. What up, everybody? DJ Nubis with you on the Middle Time Radio Podcast, Hordes of Chaos, episode 162. Got a good show for you today. Uh, normally, anytime we do shows, when Neko's here and when I, of course, do it by myself, I try to get like at least four topics in. Um, today, I've got one topic in particular I'm going to get to that it's going to be a little bit it's going to be a little bit time consuming because I got a lot to say on it. Uh, obviously, it's about the the Will Smith slap on Chris Rock. Um, but I'm going to tell you why the topic is important. I'm going to explain why the opinionated morons who think that it was okay are wrong. Granted, 
everyone's entitled to their opinions. I get it. Uh, but I think once I have said what I need to say, I think people will start to understand a little more why what Will Smith did was very problematic. Um, so right now I have maybe three topics uh, instead of four. But it may cut down to two depending on how long my topic on Will Smith takes. So just be wary that I might have to take out a topic. I might just use that for like a video on your YouTube channel or something. But um, for now, I'm at three. We'll see how it goes. Time-wise, I try to keep these podcasts around three and a half hours to four hours. I know when Neck was here, we usually push it more like five hours. But uh, we're always full of entertainment, aren't we? Uh, anywho, a lot of new music coming your way. Got a lot of label and promotional stuff for you. Inverse Records, Grand Sounds, Against PR, and much, much more. Good stuff in the rock block. Uh, just a lot of great metal music coming your way. And uh, we're going to kick off this first block with a band called Dead Alive, provided by Vlad, my boy in Poland. This is No Rest in Peace. Funeral is about to begin, sir.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! <laughs> he is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord! Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> That was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth! I'm going to, okay? <laughs> oh, I could, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history. So yeah, there you have it. A clip from the actual event that went viral for the Oscars. Now granted, I didn't even watch the Oscars, but the minute that shit happened, it went all over the place on social media, so seeing as how I spend time online, you know, promoting my station, doing videos, talking to people, it's hard to avoid when shit like this pops up in your feed, Twitter or otherwise, and so just like anybody who's watching a car wreck, uh, a train wreck, or whatever, I go to see what the story is about, see what happened, and, uh, you know, it's funny because at first you're kind of like cracking jokes, you're, and we're still kind of cracking jokes, I mean, it's just kind of how we deal with shit in society, we make memes, gifs, uh, whatever, but at the same time, there's this other part of it that becomes a little more serious, and, uh, as I got to thinking more and more, and then I see other people's reactions, and you know, it's now considered the slap heard around the world because you have to understand this is being broadcast across the globe to different countries, and individuals in other countries certainly have a different viewpoint of what happened. Like in Britain, they recently came out and said to have this happen at the BAFTAs, which is held in the UK, Will Smith would have been removed immediately for what he did. And, uh, now, for those that don't really know, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is Will Smith's wife. And a couple years ago, she was diagnosed with alpatia or alpatia or something like that to do with hair loss. Um, it's, not, it's not terminal in the sense that she's going to die from it, but it does affect the hair. So she made a choice, you know, a couple years ago that after she was diagnosed that she was just going to shave her head. Now, first and foremost, uh, as a person like myself, I don't follow their their careers that closely. I mean, I've always seen them both in movies over the past 20 or 30 years. Uh, 
And Jada's always kind of had short hair from what I can remember. I don't ever really remember seeing her with longer hair. Now, that doesn't mean that she should be happy of hair loss. But my point was being was that even at the awards the other night, to me, she still looked lovely. Very beautiful. Uh, I know I kind of cracked a joke that maybe... Because Rock's joke about G.I. Jane was kind of lame. Let's, let's face it. It was really kind of a lame joke. And I'm not even sure if Rock knew about her her disease or whatever that is that they call it. But uh, I would have said something more like, you know, Jada, you look like you're ready to go into the next Black Panther movie as one of the Wakanda warriors, you know, or something like that. I'm not, I'm not a comedian, so I can't make up any real good you know, joke regarding that, but I, I am of the belief that Chris Rock was not trying to be mean-spirited when he cracked his jokes. And the other part of this is comedians, when they do these shows, okay, all of them, and I'm going to get to some of the other comedians that night, they come in and their job is to basically tell jokes and roast people, willingly or unwillingly. That's just how it works. Will Smith and Jada Smith have been a part of the industry for many years, so they know how this works. It's been done. Now, obviously, different comedians have different styles. We know this. Uh, but I still don't think that Chris Rock uh, really thought that what he was saying was something that was that low of a blow or uh, something that you know required him to get hit in the face, smacked by Will Smith. The other problem with this is the message that it sends. And I'm going to get a little more of that in a minute. But first let me say that earlier tonight there was another comedian, Regina Hall, female, who did some other things that were, you know, are kind of being glossed over right now in terms of sexual harassment and uh, female gaze on males uh, that she did on stage. But on top of that, she cracked a joke in reference to Jada and Will's personal marriage life. Like, there's this thing about the open marriage and how Will wasn't really happy about Jada sleeping around with some other dude. You know, supposedly now it's all good and whatnot, but that's been still kind of a sore spot with Will uh, since that happened. Like, if you ever watched his Red Talk table and all that with Jada and him, uh, there, there's some issues in there. So I don't think even that's quite said, but, you know, for whatever reason, Regina Hall was able to get away with it. Now, had I pointed out that had Will want, walked up and smacked a woman, would everybody still be looking at this as like a justification? Because that's a real problem. Because if you're endorsing the fact that if a comedian cracks a joke, whether it's a bad joke or in poor taste or not, if you're endorsing the fact that it's okay for someone to hit you in any way and get physically violent with you, you have now just opened the door for anybody to hit a fucking woman, a woman, male or otherwise. Or, we know the story, if uh, Chris Rock had said this to a white actor, and this actor got up and slapped Chris Rock, we know how that would be perceived. We know the scenario and the way that people would be discussing it would be vastly different, right? If the white dude did it, it'd be a racist thing, right? Because that's how it is. That's how people are. That's the kind of society we're in now. We, we, we pick and choose where we want our battles to be. If it was a female that Will Smith hit, we'd be like, oh, well, that's physical abuse. That dude deserves to be in prison right now, right? We'd be saying that. So why isn't Chris Rock granted the same latitude with this? 
that's part of our problem as a society and perception. Just because Chris Rock is a male, we expect that to be okay. Um, that's that's the wrong way to look at it. It's very wrong. Uh, and the other thing was, you know, Chris Rock handled it with class and dignity, dignity, uh, integrity, and professional. Like he didn't even press charges against uh, Will. And even though it's funny because the LAPD says, well, there's no charges pressed and it's kind of a misdemeanor, so we're not going to worry about it. But the reality is you have this on video. You have witnesses. Uh, you technically can bring a case against Will Smith. You can do this. Uh, and it's a shame because this is where Hollywood's privilege and elitism comes a factor. They live in these bubbles and they think that they're untouchable. And part of this problem is... Things like the LAPD, uh, right now the Academy is claiming that they're uh, investigating this and they're going to bring down some uh, punishments for Will Smith. But then you start hearing, well, they're not going to take away his Oscar because he did win an Oscar for his movie King Richard, which after the event of Smackin' Rock, he went to uh, accept his award because he, he didn't get escorted out. They let him sit in there. Uh, so then he goes and gets his award. And then starts throwing the pity party about how, you know, he's just defending his wife. Uh, you know, he feels like he's the same as Mr. Williams defending his two daughters and defending family. And he didn't even apologize to Rock at that moment. He apologized to the Academy, to the rest of the nominees. Uh, the following day, he apologized to Rock via uh, text or message or whatever. And, you know, that, that's even worse. Like, it's like, one, it's a day later. Uh, we all know the pressure from the media is calling you out for your bullshit, and then you want to do that to try to save face. But rather than call the man yourself or even meet up with them to uh, apologize in person, you do it over the web. Like, that's weak. Weak sauce. Uh, really, uh, you know, I'm sure in the long run, Will Smith is a very good dude. Uh, but what we saw that night was a, a, a low-character move and uh, someone who is very weak when it comes to, like, taking criticism or even taking jokes. And, you know, Will Smith readily admits that it comes with the territory. So it, it's not like he's dumb. He knows that he is a, a Hollywood star and that, you know... Whatever the case might be, you are putting yourself out there for criticism, no matter it's in the uh, tabloids or in the media or even the, the butt end of jokes. And so, and again, like this isn't like um, a case where Chris Rock was out in the street hanging with Will and Jaden and decided to cut the joke and then, you know, it didn't get seen by millions or whatever. Uh, there would be less problem with it if this had happened outside of this award ceremony uh, because the Academy does hold people to standards. Now, I know we're going to get into this about people saying, well, what about Weinstein? What about uh, Roman Polanski, uh, Mel Gibson, so-so and so-so? That's fine. Uh, there are certainly great arguments to have those people removed from the uh, academy as well however the one distinction here is that the stuff that these other guys have done uh, happened outside of the ceremony itself 
Um, when the code of conduct was made by the academy in 2017, I'm pretty sure it applies to the actual ceremony itself and not so much your character outside of that. Now, here's the thing with that. Once Weinstein was found guilty and went to jail, the academy did cut him loose. They kicked him out of the academy. So, with that said, I have no problems if uh, Gibson or anyone else who's in the academy who has uh, baggage like that is outed. That doesn't bother me. But I also think that people who are bringing this up are now basically uh, spinning or deflecting off the issue that we have here right now. Uh, and this is my problem, too, with stuff. It's like no accountability. Will Smith is a guy that's guilty of fucking up here and now. Not Mel Gibson, not Roman Polanski, not such and such. Fucking Will Smith. He's the one guilty of this issue. Uh, let me see here in my notes. Pretty much covered a lot of what I was going to talk about. Um... One thing I will say is when Will Smith went to his acceptance speech for his Oscar, he talked about how he's nothing about love and peace, and yet here he was just a few moments earlier slapping a dude on a wide stage in a national audience. And, uh, you know, look, I'll be the first to tell people right now who are listening that take the time to listen to this. I give Chris Rock all the credit in the world, man. I do. Um, had I been in his shoes and that happened, I'd probably be in jail because I would have jumped on top of fucking Will Smith and beat him down. And it would have been nasty. I mean, they would have literally had to be... You would see Denzel, Bradley Cooper, everybody pulling me off because I would have been a fucking rabid dog on his ass. So, technically, in my case, I would have made a fool of myself on national TV, too, but... I'm also um, have a lot more pride than that in terms of someone just walking up and doing that to me. Um, not saying that Chris Rock doesn't have pride, but he's just a better way. He has a better way of uh, conducting himself in such situation, which is so admirable. You know, I could never do that. I just couldn't. It's not. It's not my DNA. Uh, I. You know, I have very few rules when it comes to myself, like, you can call me every name in the book. If, had Will Smith, if it had been me on stage and Will Smith got up and just, you know, laid into me ver uh, verbally, I'd be like, okay, I understand your point, brother. I get it. And I, I apologize if I offended anybody. But the moment that you physically try to harm me and hit me or assault me, that's crossing a line that you can't go back from. And that's where I cross my line. Like, I'm just like, no. I'm not going to take that from you or anybody. You will not disrespect me like that. And, you know, people have to understand Chris Rock is a comedian. This is his job. And like I said, people who are pretending that somehow Chris Rock was being lowbrow don't understand how these award shows work and never have. It's always been like this. Everywhere. But there is a conduct as a celebrity that you have to not, like, fall in. And the fact that Smith was laughing at the joke until he saw his wife's face makes him look even the bigger fool. Because it's like, oh, it's an afterthought. You thought it was funny until your wife didn't. And I would have had just a lot more respect. I know there's been some people who've written articles on this. 
stating the same thing that had Smith either taken Chris aside behind the scenes and talked to him about it, or had Smith just stood up and said, "Look, brother, that's uncalled for. Don't go there." Uh, and then you know whatever words of choice that he would have used outside of profanities, which made no sense, but whatever words that Will would have used, I'm sure Chris would have taken them, you know, to heart. So, the problem that I have here is that once you've opened up that door, that means you're endorsing it to happen to anybody who disrespects your wife or your husband on a joke. And there were a lot of comedians who showed real concern with this. And, I, and I'm going to point to people right now who are very familiar with the metal world about Diamond Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. He was an entertainer who got shot in the head on stage performing. And he wasn't even cutting jokes. But now we have some people out there who are endorsing people to do this to comedians or anybody that is cutting jokes. There's a vast difference, people, of me walking up to somebody on the street and making a joke about you in a, in a very meanful and mean-spirited way versus just creating jokes for a, a television show, an award ceremony. Because it's really all supposed to be in fun. You're all, we're all supposed to be able to kind of laugh at ourselves. Because at times, you know, even myself, you know, there are stupid things about me. Neko makes fun of my uh, grammar, my, you know, mispronunciations all the time. Uh, it's not that I'm not smart. It's just, I, you know, I fuck up my words sometimes. I'm just bad at it sometimes. Of course, the alcohol doesn't help, but... The reality is, is that if people want to crack jokes, I mean, that's fine. And it doesn't mean that jokes can't hurt people. Like, you know, sometimes we do take them to heart a little bit. But it's really about how we respond to that. And if we stopped to learn that we can try to work things out civilly and express ourselves and our dissatisfaction with something in a verbal manner rather than you know, physical violence, then we're better people for it. Uh, you know, I was reading today earlier on one of my friend's Facebook pages, this this woman who was uh, in a wheelchair. You know, she's a very, I guess she's an activist because she's very, you can see just on her avatar and her page that she's, you know, anti-this, anti-racism, this, this, which is fine. It's great. We all agree with that, right? But she was having, but she was actually endorsing this in terms of like what Will did. She thought this was like a grand, great thing. And her biggest thing was, ironically, her biggest thing was, well, there's consequences for what you say. And I thought, and I thought, well, you know, sure, there could be. And then again, in my situation, my my hypothetical that I gave you all a little bit ago, if I was in Chris's shoes and then I got on top of Will Smith and I started smashing his head into the fucking floor there and he was in the hospital in a coma could I use her same argument about consequences like really because let's let's face it we have to really learn to distinguish that words aren't physically harmful they're not they might be emotionally harmful 
But that's not an excuse to get violent with anybody. It's not. It never has been. There's the old saying, sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And the one thing I am happy about is there were a lot of black celebrities and, and athletes who, and even comedians who don't condone what Will did. And, it, and that's very important for me because even though it was two black guys involved, uh, I wanted to make sure that when I was talking about my viewpoints and how I saw things, that most of the people that I read and also understood that. So if I say to people that if you're punching people because of stuff they're saying, uh, if it's if, if it's something you know, it's it's one thing if you're getting in confrontations with someone who's actually trying to be mean spirited. Like I am kind of lenient on that, even though I don't still recommend being violent over words. Um, I can certainly understand if someone was just trying to really drag or drag Jada into the you know the mud and really be hurtful about it. There's no way that Chris Rock was doing that. And his, like, you only heard the, 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 the MP3 that I had of that situation, the verbal part. If you actually watch Chris Rock, I feel so bad for him because he was stunned that that happened. When he initially saw Will Smith walking up to him, he probably thought that Will was gonna kinda, kinda give him a hug and then tease him back, right? The slap just caught him totally off guard. He just did not expect it. But the way that he rolled with it and managed to save himself, uh, you know, the embarrassment was amazing to me. And, uh, but now, like, you have to wonder how's his psyche going to be going forward when he's still trying to perform live stand-up. Like, he probably now has to kind of second-guess how he does that because... He doesn't know if someone's going to come and actually physically kill him or hurt him. And there's no justification for that. There isn't. Uh, yeah, so that's really something for people to think about because this is an important issue. And I'm disappointed that people actually endorse that. I'm really disappointed in that. Uh, anywho, the good thing is there are quite a few that... Um, don't support it and hats off to them for actually seeing the bigger picture uh the other thing is um the academy says they're going to do something i just i don't see it happening like i know that there's been talk about taking away his oscar and he's like the only like the only like fifth black person to ever win one or something like that so while i think they should take it away because I think when we talk about, as that girl talked in the wheelchair, about consequences, uh, I do think there are consequences. But there are different types of consequences. Like, a guy should not be slapped for crate cracking a joke that he's paid to do. He's paid to be there. He's paid to make things funny, even if the jokes fall flat, like every other comedian's ever done these shows. But now, Will has taken it upon himself to assault somebody, and there should be consequences for that, for sure. So even if you feel like Chris Rock was, or uh, Will is justified for slapping Rock, now you have to look at the other end of the spectrum that there's got to be consequences for his actions. 
no matter if he feels like he was noble or not, trying to stick up for his wife, which many people feel like he wasn't doing anyway, they actually thought it was actually more insulting to his wife to do that. Uh, but I really don't expect the Academy to do much. They talked about maybe suspending him for like six months to a year, and I'm like, what good is that going to do? Because it's not like you have Oscar award ceremonies like every week, <laughs> so it's not really going to do anything. Uh, you have to really kind of make a statement, and I think as harsh it might seem, might seem to people, taking away the Oscars like the biggest example of actually taking a, a stand on violence, workplace violence, which is what this is considered. Um, now, if you're someone who's concerned about the jokes themselves, then that's up to the Academy has to kind of like address going forward. If they feel like they need to rebrand the way that comedians handle themselves with their jokes and stuff on stage, that's something they can revisit and try to change if they feel like that's just creating too much of a problem. The fact that this is the first time this has happened in 94 years of the Oscars tells me that it's not really a big problem, but uh, I think you do have to send a message here. I think you have to, as, as, as tough as it's going to be for Smith and for people to grasp, taking away that Oscar sends a huge message. It just does. And I think it needs to happen. And, I, and again, People are going to say, well, take the Oscars away from those other dudes. I'm like, I'm fine with that. But that's not the issue right now. The issue right now is Will Smith. And, you know, whatever they do going forward with this shit, um, simply suspending them for a year does nothing. Uh, even if the police decide to arrest him, it does nothing. He's got all the money in the world. Have you ever seen his fucking mansion that Smith lives in? It's huge. Dude has money up the ass. So that does nothing either. So it's, you know, it's neither here or there with that. Uh, the only example I can see that really would put the money where the mouth is in terms of the Academy and them backing up and showing some backbone is by taking away that Oscar. And you got to take the backlash that comes with it because there's going to be a lot of people throwing up the, you know, this is a racial thing when it's not. But, you know, that's how people are going to take it because they don't want people like Will Smith to be held accountable. They want to find excuses. They want to deflect off bad behavior. And again, even though this happened against another black man, they just people will go and defend Will to the living death if his Oscar is taken away. But to me, as a society, you have to start making examples of people. And if you continue to do these little, like, slap on the hand things it's just not going to change anything it's just not so my opinion is take the Oscar away uh, send a message but I don't expect it to happen anyway for all you listening uh, you're always free to give your views and comments on our pages and our comment section and whatnot. and uh, yeah so Let's get back in the music. Uh, Cerebral Mist, provided by Inverse, is kicking our next block off. Here we go.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace.
salute you people of the underworld. I'm Nick from the Greek heavy metal band Accelerator. And I want you to rock hard with the Metal Tavern Show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and I hope you hurt your ears listening to a hot brand new album. Hell yeah! Alright, getting ready to jump into our rock lock. What we got today, let's take a look. Got some kilohertz from the Metalist PR, the 121s, provided by Reaction Management. Some new stuff from Yo Brando. I think that might have been curtain calls, I'm not sure. Got some new stuff from Bomber. Got some core from, uh, definitely from curtain calls. And then I've got uh, a, another track that's been covered by uh, Leo Marocelli. I think I probably butcher his name as I always do, but. Uh, he does a nice little cover of the Verve there, so uh, you'll be able to check that out. But right now, here's the kilohertz kicking off our rock block this week the wait for closure.
trees and broken flowers Is it heavy enough to heal your broken mind? Heal my heavy soul for us and now Standing at the sun with sadness in your eyes
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Closing out that rock block. Here we go. Let's talk a little bit about Woo Assassins. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with this show, actually, I I think at first I tried to start watching the movie. They have a movie that came out after the series called uh, Fistful of Vengeance. Now, the series and the movie stars uh, Iko Yuas, of course, uh, one of the more uh, more notable modern martial artists who are in films now. Uh, we've talked about before, Neko and I, with different films he's been a part of and whatnot. Um, so I started watching the movie first. Like I just I didn't know I don't know anything about it really up until the series I watched, but I didn't really know anything about it. And I started watching it, and like I started seeing this supernatural stuff going on. I was like, eh, not interested. So I, I stopped watching. So I may, after I talk about the series, I may go back and try to watch the movie. But uh, So I, I, I knew this series was out there, and I didn't really have any intention of actually watching it. Because like I said, I would start watching the movie, not really knowing which was first. But... Uh, started watching the movie and I was like well I'm just not really into it but then like I saw <laughs> on the cover art poster for the series that I said man that chick on there looks like Catherine Winnick I'm a big fan of hers obviously uh, so I looked it up you know and obviously she is in this in the series uh, I have to check and see if she's in the movie I can't remember but I saw she was in the series like well now I'm a little bit Intrigued, you know. Again, when they show you those like those little trailers when you first scroll over the uh, the cover art for the movie that or series that you're gonna watch, they give you like a little snippet of what the what's inside the movie or series. There's like this cafeteria, well not cafeteria, but this cafe scene where Eco is sitting across from Byron Man, who I also love a lot. Uh, for those that don't know, he played Ryu in the Street Fighter movie years ago, as well as. Uh, Silver Lion in the Quentin Tarantino film, the, Iron, the Man with the Iron Fist. So I really like him as an actor, too. And uh, so there's this snippet, of course, of the, of the series when you, like, scroll over the uh, cover art. And this white woman walks up to him. They're eating breakfast, you know, eggs, sausage, whatever. And she starts going on this kind of rant where... You know, she's like she's saying, you know, if you want some rice or orange chicken, we can have our cook cook some up for you. And like Byron Man, you don't really know at this point who he is uh, in character in terms of like what's going on. But this particular scene doesn't really matter. It it matters to me for a different reason, but I'll get to that in a little bit. So anyway, Byron Man's character, who is called Uncle Six in the series, he's he starts lecturing this white older woman about. Well, do you really know the history of, you know, Asian people when it comes to America? So he just goes on this history lessons of, like, how they were enslaved and how he and Equal's character are 
actually born in America, you know, born Americans that are just as American as she is. And he's like, look, the eggs and sausage are just fine. Like, he felt offended that she was trying to say that, uh, one, they weren't from America, but two, that uh, they must have wanted some Asian food or something. So she was, you know, he was kind of, like, offended by that. So she goes and tells a couple other redneck dudes in the in the cafe like what happened, and they walk up and you know obviously the snippet's only a, a short while, so you get like you, at the moment where they're getting ready to fight these guys, and that's when it switches off and lets you go do whatever. Uh, so Wu Assassins is basically about Kaijin, which is Ikuyu's character. And he's a young chef in Chinatown in present-day San Francisco. And he becomes entangled with the Chinese triad's uh, pursuit of an ancient power known as the Wu Xing. And he has a mystical encounter with a spirit. And the spirit reluctantly, or I should say Kai, Kai reluctantly becomes a Wu assassin. His job is to search out five criminals who are powerful uh, mystically and you know supernaturally with powers and take their power from them like defeat them in combat take it and put together this like mask thing and you know he has no idea but he's like the thousandth thousandth uh, assassin to attempt to do this and he's been told by this spirit that he's the last so if he fails the world fails and then I guess the objective of the the other people to gather up is to destroy the world. I don't know. It, the The series kind of like goes in a lot of different directions. Um, you have a lot of characters that are involved for different reasons, and so like, but some of the names in here, um, as I said, Eko Was, Catherine Winnick, she plays an undercover cop who gets involved with a lot of this. Byron Mann plays Uncle Six, who has basically taken Kaijin as his son, and, you know, as well as some of these other uh, people that Kai grew up with. Because uh, they were all together as teenagers inside this warehouse when it caught fire, and only Kaijin saw what happened, really, in terms of uh, Uncle Six being there. And Uncle Six is the one that kind of broke them out and saved them. However, later on we discover Uncle Six is the one that started the fire. And he's actually one of these criminals that uh, Kaijin is supposed to kill and take out. So, the other we have other characters like Louis Tan. For those of those who aren't familiar with him, you should be. He plays... Uh, He's in Mortal Kombat, the last Mortal Kombat movie, playing Cole Young. Uh, I'll say right now, he's a much better character in this than in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> uh, Mark DeCascos, uh, you should know him by well, but now he's been in the John Wick movie. I think it was the third one he was in. Uh, also played uh, Draven, I believe, in the Crow series, TV series years ago. Uh, in my favorite movie of all time, Brother of the Wolf. So he, he's a long-standing martial artist, and he's in here uh, playing a character as well. 
there's a lot of other good characters. The, the, the thing is, the characters in this this series are, are really good. Uh, I like who they are. I like the characters they represent. My problem is, really, is that I don't really like the supernatural aspect of the series. Like, I think, in my opinion, uh, the series would be better without the supernatural elements. Like, I really like the fact that there's a subplot going on between cops and, you know, the triad and, you know, bad guys and good guys and how Winnick's character uh, has to cross some lines uh, that she has doubts with. And so there's, like, a lot of cool stuff going on here. The, the, the martial arts skills are okay. It's pretty good. There's some good stuff in here, although I think that uh, in some cases... Uh, not as good as it could be, but at the same time, I really do wish, again, that the supernatural element, the, the story itself with the supernatural was gone. Like, there's just... The, the characters that are in this would be great without all that shit. Like, and I mean, I, I think maybe this is based off a comic or something. I'm not really quite sure on that. Um, maybe somebody can kind of enlighten me a little bit where the origins of this series comes from because I, I think it does come from somewhere but uh the other interesting executive producers uh eco was and Catherine Winnick are also part of that as well so that's cool to see it, it gets about a 80 percent from both audience and critics on Rotten Tomatoes and for me I'd probably give it a six or seven just because like I said when I'm more interested in the regular characters in this rather than the supernatural ones. And I think that the supernatural characters are better when they're not even using powers. Like, there's just so much to go on with the story itself. Like, just regular story would be cool shit. Like, I just really dig it. Uh, even if Eco was in some way, like, raging, if, if, even if he was just like a assassin trained kill like triads or something rather than for the supernatural causes that would be a more interesting story than what we're getting <clears throat> so I just I, I don't know I'm not really keen on the whole supernatural part it's just not really interesting to me uh, the other part is like there's this moment towards the end of the series there's uh, one chick um, named Quan I think uh, I don't think she's listed here in my notes, but very good actress, a uh, good martial artist. Um, she plays a big part towards the end of the series. Uh, and really, again, like she does something that really upsets uh, Kaijin, and you don't really get any resolution or relief from that particular moment. Like it, it leaves you hanging. Now, granted, uh, it looks like they're going to probably do another season of this. Now, I, I don't know for sure. I haven't really read up on whether or not they are, but, you know, the fact that it was left open, I would assume so. But, uh, and yeah, and there's some other shit at the end of the series that I'm like, what the fuck, where, where is this coming from? Uh, so it, it's really kind of weird. Like, I just would rather have it just like a, a regular 
police versus Yakuza triad story rather than like the supernatural stuff. The acting is very good. Like I said, I, I have no qualms with that. Like everyone is a very believable character. Uh, they they play their characters very well. Uh, but I just the supernatural aspect of everything is just boring to me. I don't know. Like I can't really get into it on that level. Um, so yeah. Uh, you can check it out, obviously. Um, like I said, the acting's great. Maybe you'll enjoy the supernatural part of it, but for me, it just didn't do a whole lot, unfortunately. Alright, let's get into our next block of music. Um, Mystifier and Lucifer's Child had a split, so we've got a track from each of those bands in this block, and then we also got some new Andy uh, kicking off with Diligence. So we'll be back.
Roger from No Moss, and also Andrew. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Got a couple things to get to. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up and talk about was an article by ScreenRant.com about the 10 most influential horror hosts of all time. But before we get to that, uh, I had a chance this morning to check out the first episode of Moon Knight uh, by Marvel uh, on Disney Plus, and uh, it was pretty good. Like I have no knowledge at all. Like I've talked about in the past, like there's only like the main players of, of uh, comics that I'm aware of most of the time. So even in the Marvel world, some of these other characters that I'm seeing coming out with these shows and, uh, of course, uh, in movies and whatnot, I, I'm not that familiar with except for the bigger names. Uh, this is one of the cases here with Moon Knight. I have, like, no previous knowledge of this guy. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, Friday, I'm going to go check out Morbius, which is another character in the Marvel Universe that I'll be uh, checking out and uh, doing a, a video for on our YouTube channel. So be looking for that on Friday. Um, but from what I can tell of Moon Knight... Uh, he is a part of the Avengers somehow. Like, I'm not sure at what point he's uh, joining them. It, obviously, it's down the road. A lot of the stuff that we're seeing now is basically post-endgame stuff. So a lot of this has happened after Thanos has been defeated. So we're just kind of getting uh, introduced to all these new characters and whatnot. So it, this is a new guy for me. And uh, the lead actor um, is, is his name here. Of course, uh, I'm not on the show part of it. Sorry, um, I'm just I'm on a comic page, so it's just kind of telling me who it is. I, I, I'm I'm not sure who the uh, actual actor is that right offhand. Um, but the apparently the alter ego of Moon Knight has three different ones, uh, at least according to this. So you have Mark Spector, who is a mercenary. Uh, Stephen Grant, uh, who's supposed to be like this kind of like rich businessman. Hey! A rich businessman. And then uh, Jake Lockley's supposed to be like a taxi driver. Now, so far in this first episode, we've only seen two of those alter egos. And I don't know if they're going to do it or not. It's a little bit different in terms of Stephen Grant in terms of uh, what he doesn't seem rich in this uh, particular show so they changed that character a little bit I think because he's actually working as a a guy that sells toys or something in a, uh, not a convenience store but a you know retail store somewhere in a mall or some shit like that um, actually it might be a museum I think yeah, I take that back. I think he's in a museum and he sells like toys, like a toy shop in there or something. Because the other part of all this is that we have this story set up where our lead character Stephen is right is the the baseline uh, personality that we're dealing with. He's been losing uh, lapses of time, so he actually ties himself to the bed with a, a chain and a, a, a 
like a uh, an anklet on his ankle there so he can't leave. He puts tape on a door to see if he like the door opens and he's leaving. So he's understanding that he's waking up in different places and not knowing how he got there. Um, as the series goes on, uh, he starts to figure out he's got this voice talking to him. So it's almost like uh, Eddie Brock with uh, Venom, you know, uh, if you've watched those movies at all, how he, you know, Venom's talking to him in kind of like a rough voice a little bit. Uh, in this case, uh, Stephen has this other voice talking to him. But the, the voice, I think, right now, seems to be Mark Spector, who is this mercenary. Now, we don't necessarily know how this situation came to be, because we're only in the first episode. Uh, but what we do know is at one point, Stephen finds himself in, I don't know, it looks... I don't know if it looks like Sweden or, or something. He's definitely not... <laughs> in his homeland like somehow he's transported somewhere else altogether uh in a, you know another country it seems because i think his home base is actually new york i'm just guessing here at the moment but he finds himself in another land and then we have ethan hawk who's playing this other character who's got these weird powers where he's got this tattoo on his forearm of the scales of justice basically and he if he touches you, the scales move, and it's, it, I guess it's like sort of a judgment. And if you're if you're worthy, the scales will stay black. Uh, but if you're someone who's not worthy, then they kind of turn red, and that's when like you die or something. So it, it's really weird because in this little town that Ethan is in, um, the people there actually bow to him and worship him. It's, it's actually like a cult because there's people that we find in New York when Stephen makes his way back there uh, have the same tattoo so it's, it's really eerie and uh, but while he's in this other little town he's being chased by gunmen but he's you know he wakes up and he's like he's Stephen he has no fucking clue why people are chasing him with guns uh, but then as he's running away from these guys like driving away or just running away there's these moments where these guys will about ready to kill him basically and then all of a sudden he goes into these seizures type thing and he wakes up again and the guys that were just around him are dead and you know it's like the alter ego is like taking over but he has no recollection of what's going on uh towards the end of the first episode we get to a moment in the museum uh he has a little scarab this this is like egyptian themed like this museum and uh Ethan starts talking about his Ethan's character starts talking about Egyptian gods and trying to get the world back on track and he's doing the, the work of the gods so but Ethan wants that scarab amulet or whatever it is that Stephen is carrying around and stole from him which I don't know what purpose that serves yet but he wants that, and uh, since he can't get it right away from Stephen, they, they sense, like, basically what looks like a version of Anubis. Yeah, me. Uh, so, it's, it, you know, you've got, like, this dog-like creature that's chasing him down and trying to kill him. Uh, 
and then at the end of the episode, the very end, basically we have where he's in like almost like a, a bathroom. And he's locked himself in, but this creature's like tearing out the door, almost getting in. So he sees this big ass mirror, and uh, his reflection starts talking to him. This is the, the alter ego Spectre is talking to him. He's like, Look, if you want to live, give me full control. And at that point, he does, and he starts transforming into the Moon Knight. And from what we can tell, he gets the better of this creature and kills it. And then that's when the episode ends. Uh, so there's a lot to uh, learn from, you know, un unpacked about this episode. Because, like I said, I have no knowledge of this character whatsoever. Uh, I do dig the Egyptian theme so far. I think that's a, something that's going to play out through the whole thing. Because that ties into some of what the, the wiki says about the Moon Knight character. Um yeah, he they have what he has what they call a dissociative identity disorder. Uh, so I, I I don't know why they actually give it a name so much, but anyway, the Moon Knight character itself looks very cool, and at some point, according to the wiki, uh, his character actually ends up becoming godly in a, in a way where. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen in the series, uh, the first season or not, but, you know, he gets, like, legitimately hurt to the point of death and is brought back by the Egyptian god uh, Khonshu or something like that. And at that point, he's given, like, these powers to on top of his martial arts skills or fighting skills. And, um... But that hasn't happened yet, so I don't know, like, right now, if the Moon Knight itself is just... I guess he already has powers. Like, that's the thing. Like, I thought initially when he was transforming into the alter ego that he was just, you know, badass fighting. But they did show that when he gave uh, full control to Spectre that he literally, his whole attire changed. Like, he got the hooded cloak on with the, you know, the, the white eyes. And so it, it's... He's got to have some powers of some sort, like, right? If you can do that, like, out of your just regular, ordinary dress. <laughs> so if he's if it's, if it's that's happening as he's switching over to the other ego, then I'm assuming he's got some powers of race. I'm not sure how they're going to explain all this. Um, that could be the scarab doing it, but I don't think so because he's already, he was already doing shit like that beforehand as far as changing over, which is why he was locking himself in his bed and everything else. Uh, which didn't seem to work all the time because he still woke up in random places. But uh, the other thing I talked about I wanted to get to is the article about the ten influential horror hosts. And I'm just going to kind of go through the list because there's a lot in here I haven't seen, but there's some that I have. And, you know, I'd probably agree or disagree. I can't really say disagree because I just, like I said, I haven't seen a lot of these. Uh, but here we go. Uh, Count Gore Duvall and. Uh, he was in the 1970s uh, doing a Saturday show called Creature Feature. Also, uh, I guess he had a Washington, D.C. area version of the Bozo the Clown show. But he got his own, well, his own show was the Creature Feature, and that's where he's basically dressed up like Dracula, and I guess he's showing horror movies and stuff like that. Uh, then we have a gentleman named Chili Billy, who I've never heard of, and uh, he was from the Pittsburgh area. For about 20 years, and uh, same thing. These are all people that are doing 
hosting shows about showing horror films and whatnot. Sammy Terry, who again, never heard of. Uh, Joel Hodgson, he, he I do know. Um, obviously, most people will from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, well, I was never a super diehard of that show. I did watch a lot of it in the 90s. I even caught a few in the 2000s. Obviously, when they replaced him with another guy, it was never quite the same. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say that that show itself, as well as Hodgson's, were probably very iconic at the time because a lot of people loved that show. Uh, Bob Wilkins, I'm not super familiar with. Uh, he's definitely from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, his, I guess, was called Creature Features 2 or something like that. Um, but a lot of these guys look like maybe they were from the 60s, early 70s. Sven Gulli, I've seen this guy even more recently in a lot of documentaries about uh, horror icons and whatnot. Um, he was a Chicago guy uh, who aired around 79 and whatnot. Same thing, he was like probably your... I mean, we have, like, a lot of different hosts that have been around for a while, but he's probably one of the, like, first iconic, like, ghoulie-type dudes as far as the male hosts were concerned. Uh, here's the one that I would know the most because it's who I grew up with the most was Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Uh, used to love watching her late at night, uh, <laughs> not just because of her. So uh, Cassandra Peterson, just amazingly beautiful. Um... But she had, you know, she had like a lot of fun wit about her too. When she would, you know, talk about movies and do her goofy stuff. But uh, yeah, I didn't care too much about her own movies that she was trying to make on that character. But as far as her hosting, it was like some of the funnest times I can remember as a kid. Joe Bob Briggs. I never caught him with Monster Vision during the '90s when that was his heyday with people who had followed him for a long time knew about. It wasn't until he did the Shutter stuff in the last four or five years that I really knew who he was, and I really enjoy his show as well. Uh, so I'm glad that he's doing this stuff again. I'm glad that Shutter has given him a shot to do this. I would, I, I kind of would love for Shutter to kind of bring back Elvira, or you know, even if they were up to it, uh, because that'd be kind of fun. I mean, it might be a little bit too much because Joe Bob kind of dominates it right now in terms of Shudder and doing the, the horror hosting and whatnot. But uh, he's a very good uh, host and a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Zach, Zachary, don't know much about him, but for the 1950s shock theater he did. Uh, and then I think the last one here is Vampira, which you heard Nick and I talk about the documentary on her very uh, influential in terms of horror hosting and obviously a huge influence on Elvira in terms of look and persona. Um, very smart woman. Um, had, you know, the whole body thing was kind of weird because her waist was really thin, but I, I, I got down watching like the intro they used to have for on YouTube, uh, and dude, it was pretty creepy for the time period that they were doing that. Like, it was black and white, you had the fog, and she's kind of like just walking fast or up to the camera before she does her iconic scream. 
but man, I'm just kind of like, she just kind of glides to it almost. It's like really eerie and very effective uh, in how she did that. Uh, but yeah, uh, she was, you know, obviously the documentary touched on a lot of her career in terms of, uh, you know, doing videos with the Misfits and stuff like that. Very influential in that regard. and So great. So great. So there's a lot in the list I definitely agree with. Um, the other ones I hadn't seen, but I, you know, someday if I ever get a chance to check out some of their stuff, I will. Uh, so I was kind of interested in that little list there and thought I would share it all with you. It's on ScreenRant.com. They do give uh, little paragraphs uh, talking about each one of them. And, uh, yeah. So check it out. Get back into our music. Brand new stuff from Horde Sight, Troglodyte, and here's new stuff from Necrom. Walls have hands.
Close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope you all enjoyed it. I know it's a little bit shorter than normal, but uh, not a whole lot to talk about this week, like I said. But I'm going to be going out and checking out Morbius on Friday. Be looking at our YouTube channel, which is under my name, actually, DJ Anubis. Uh, and uh, I'll have it up there, a review for what I think of it. Currently, I have a review for uh, X, uh, if you haven't heard about that one or seen that one yet i had to reveal it for that as well as halloween kills i finally got around to seeing that on hbo max so a couple of recent reviews i've done on movies uh neck will be back mid-may so uh be able to have her join us again on some podcasts but anywho hope you all enjoyed this and i'll see you next time i'll be looking for well by the time this is posted i'll have another horde uh a rock and a hard place of uh, volume four out so um just in case you see this and then don't see the other one uh be sure to check it out one last track for you it's a band called seven sins and this is called born to die